on today's episode, Q&A time, where I answer all of your burning questions. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default, become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. If you um, are following me on social media and you're like, where was the post? Where was the prompt for me to submit my questions? Well, I will be doing that in other Q&As, but this one is a little bit different because a few weeks ago, my sister, who is a recreational runner, um, talked to me during our Sunday family dinner. And she said, you know, over the last couple of years, I have always been asking you a lot of running questions. She's dealt with a few injuries and motivation sometimes and just wanting to improve on her running and so constantly asked me questions and she said like can we have these questions um, as a podcast episode and I told her I'd think about it and she took that as a no and then was quite surprised the next day when I messaged her and said yeah let's do it Um, I asked her to put together about 10 questions and we would cull it down to about eight and then we'd put it into two episodes and Looking back on all the questions, I thought they were quite good and so kept all 10 of them. And so this episode, you'll be hearing five questions from her and we'll next episode, we'll be releasing another five questions and it's all to do around with how to get started, what to do if you're injured, what to do with heels, what to do with breathing, what to do with muscle soreness, cross training, it covers a whole bunch of things. So I loved the, the 10 questions. So first of all, I want to say a big thanks to Zoe, my sister, for submitting these questions. She put them into these audio files and sent them to me, and then I'm piecing them all together now. So once again, thanks, Zoe, and let's take it away. How do I know what a reasonable starting distance is if I've never run before or have had a long time off? It's a good question, and I think there's, I think a lot of people are wondering what the answer would be for this one if you are injured or you've recovered from an injury and you've had considerable time off, or if you're just a new runner, how do you know where to start if a lot of running injuries are due to overuse and you want to avoid doing too much too soon? Well, where's a good starting point? And when I do work with runners and they want to attempt running or get back to running, I consider several factors Uh, and then just judge based on those factors where a starting point would be. The first thing I consider is, okay, how strong they are. Just get a gauge of how strong they are, what their experience is like with like being in the gym, what their experience is like or strength is like with other sports. That could be, say, for me, when I became a runner, 
Uh, I could start, I guess, at a considerable level because I had played basketball for several years and was feeling quite strong. Yes, I hadn't adapted to endurance running, but there was still a good foundation of strength there. Whether people are attending fitness classes, um, whether they're doing some form of cross-training when they are injured and returning back to running, how much time did they spend in the gym? How much time did they spend doing other cross-training efforts or doing fitness classes? And the second thing I would consider would be what their running mileage history is. Are they used to running, you know, 50K weeks, 150K weeks before they got injured? Or are they just quite new? Are they? Did they uh, start a couch to 5K and then got injured and then had several months off and now they're trying to start back. They haven't had a big base. I'd fa- I would factor that in as well. Uh, when they are injured and returning to running, I would definitely factor in how much time they've had off, whether it's a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years. Uh, so they are a few things. I guess the next thing would be that I consider is what they're history is like with injuries, what their injury history is like, if they constantly have overuse injuries, if they've constantly got poor, I guess, training habits, if they're constantly overloading themselves, or maybe they're just prone to getting injured. We do know that there is a certain category of runners that just, they just constantly get injured. They constantly have tendon issues. If that is, if you fit within that category and I've identified that's like the type of runner you are, we would definitely start more conservatively than someone who hasn't got a long list of injuries. So there are some things I consider. The strength, their general fitness levels, their history of injuries, their type of injuries, how long they've had time off, and then just gauge, okay, where do we think this runner can start? So that takes a little bit of experience. It takes a little bit of information gathering. However, you as a runner... Uh, you can always start low and progress slow and do so often. And let's just say you're injured. Let's just say you've recovered from an injury or you're just starting out with running. If you wanted to be completely safe, then I'd always recommend starting low, something that's really what we say, like a distance and a speed that is embarrassing for you, embarrassing to be seen by others, just start there and then you can build your way up because if it's an embarrassing speed and embarrassing distance, then it's most likely going to be under your threshold or under the maximum capacity line. And then from there, we can do some walk run intervals. That's why the Couch to 5K app is so useful because it just guides you through a walk-run program that just gradually builds you up from walking to running 5Ks. And it's extremely useful because you just listen to the audio-guided prompts, and that's a really nice starting point. So if you are a bit uncertain, if you don't have a lot of confidence, and you're just looking to start, just try and start low, progress slow, do something, start with something that embarrasses you, and then just slowly build up from there. How do hills impact my run and how can I best run on hills as a beginner if they are unavoidable? If you are thinking, uh, why don't you just avoid the hills? Um, (laughs) You should probably find out where my sister does live and where my um, family grew up. It's an extremely hilly uh, estate and as soon as you leave the house, there's a big hill that goes down to a little valley and that means you have to, to get home, you have to 
go up this hill? So it is a good question. And I know some people do trails and trails, sometimes hills are unavoidable. And so let's just start with how does it impact my run? Let's start with the uphill component. First, because of the uphill, you're going to increase the propulsion because you just need to fight gravity, you need to go up this incline. So hip flexors are one that will increase the the demand for the hip flexors to work because you have to pick up your legs into a higher spot. And so if you're starting to get hip flexor issues and you do notice that you've increased the amount of heels lately, potentially something you need to take care of. The propulsion component of running uphill is anything below the knee that's around the calf, around the Achilles, around the plantar fascia, all of those structures. If you do too much too soon when it comes to running uphill, they're the structures that are most likely going to be affected because you are trying to push up the hill as much as you can. The propulsion force is elevated and that's where people can get in trouble. And Keep in mind, this will depend on the duration of the, the hill, it will depend on the amount of incline, but just know that the steeper the hill gets, the more and more these structures are going to have to work. When it comes to running downhill, we're not, we're not dealing with the propulsion, we're actually dealing with a bit of braking force because people tend to hold back and control their run downhill, depending on what the incline is like. But then we're fighting gravity. On the way up, we don't have to... We're pushing against gravity, but on the way down, we're fighting gravity as it's like thumping the ground. And that's where it has the most impact on the ground. The ground reaction force is quite high, whereas going up the hill, the ground reaction force is quite low. And so this is where things like hitting the ground, thumping creates a lot of pressure through the knees. The knees will absorb a lot of that load, particularly the ITB as well. People running downhill and doing it too much too soon tend to get this ITB friction syndrome. It's very common with people who are experiencing a lot of downhill running. So that's what we're looking at. Um, if they are unavoidable, how can we best uh, manage hills, I guess? My thing would be to definitely increase your cadence. If you're running uphill, it will help your efficiency. If you're running downhill, it'll help reduce a lot of that braking force. Um, if you're running uphill, the second tip I have is to pick up your legs with your hip flexors. If you are strong enough to do that, if, you're, if your hip flexors are strong enough to tolerate that load, whenever I'm running uphill, I always like to remind myself or just give myself that cue to um, lift my leg through my hip flexors instead of just propelling myself with my calf up the hill. And it just, for me, helps. Um, it feels like I'm using the whole leg chain rather than just pushing up with my calves and my Achilles. It feels a little bit more efficient and it feels like I'm getting more well-rounded, sort of all the muscles are working rather than just one component. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. So that's just a tip that I like to, to give my runners. The third tip I have for how do we best deal with hills if they're unavoidable is just to go up them slow. Just go a really conservative speed um, because that's going to reduce your propulsion. It's going to reduce that overload through the calf Achilles plantar fascia. 
don't feel like you have to run the hills. You can definitely walk the hills. I've seen people go up big hills and they walk backwards because it gives them, um, it works different muscles. So they can do that as well. And my fifth tip, I guess, is just remember that the body will adapt if you train long enough in a certain environment and you just train within that adaptation sweet spot. So if you do it enough, if you do it within the right training loads, the body will adapt and get better at hills. Your hip flexors, your calves, your Achilles, your plantar fascia, they will all get stronger and adapt to what you put it through. That's not if you do hills, you know, once a week or once a fortnight. It's if you do a little bit of hills multiple times a week, that's going to help your adaptation. Uh, It's going to help the body adapt and you're going to, uh, I guess, become better at running hills because of it. So number one, increase your cadence. Number two, pick up your legs with your hip flexors if that's a cue that works for you. Three, be slow. You can be slow or just walk up the hill or just do intervals up the hill. And five, just remember that the body will adapt to a lot of uh, whatever you throw at it as long as it's within your adaptation sweet spot. I have been running a decent length of time and distance. However, I do not seem to be improving. What could I do differently to improve? And what is reasonable to expect in terms of improvements? I thought I would answer this question a little bit differently and I've put together a checklist just for runners to just go through if you're experiencing the same thing as Zoe and you don't have or you're finding you're not necessarily improving. Um, These are some things. I've got six things in mind here that you can go through the checklist just to see if maybe there's something you need to address, maybe there's something you need to change uh, to help you advance. And so the first thing I have on the checklist is nice and simple. It is, do you have a measurable goal? If you're wanting to improve, what are you wanting to improve on? Do you want to improve your 5K time trial? Do you want to improve your half marathon? Do you just want to increase your distance to 10Ks? If so, what time do you, like how long are you allowing yourself to do that? Are you allowing yourself three months? Are you allowing yourself six months? Keep that in mind because you cannot manage something if you don't measure it. And if you don't measure it, you could be improving and you don't even realize and it's just too slow and gradual for you to actually notice. And so that's number one. Number two is do you have a structured plan? Are you following a plan from a running coach or a plan that you created yourself? Or is it just random depending on how you feel the day, depending on the weather and it's just random and sporadic and there's just no structure involved? Number three, are you following um, anywhere within what we call this 80-20 rule? And this is a really nice rule, just a general guideline to follow. And the 80-20 rule is that 80% of your workouts should be at a really comfortable conversation pace or speed or distance where it's just almost like a recovery run. You should be running and feeling like you can naturally have a conversation with the person next to you or sing or whistle without having to catch your breath and without being out of breath. So a lot of runners, even the top athletes follow this general guideline. They might tweak it here and there depending on what cycle they're in. But generally speaking, 80%, that's quite a lot, is just really, really easy running. 20% is when you start start doing this um, top tier, I guess, interval training or 
trying to run um, at a harder effort and while 80% is those easier efforts. And it makes a ton of sense why, because we're building up a really big base, we're building up a really big foundation, we're getting a lot more mileage in without the body needing to recover as much as if you were just constantly going out and working hard, working hard, because you need a couple of days to recover, you're putting yourself at increased risk of injury, and yeah, keep that in mind. That's a good ratio to start seeing a lot of benefits. Number four is, are you doing any strength and conditioning work? There is a ton of evidence, and I've had series on this podcast before around the benefits of strength training and how it can impact your running performance. If you're running five, six days a week and not really seeing an improvement and you're not doing strength and conditioning, definitely implement some strength work into your weekly running and you'll start to see improvements. I guess number five is a a touch on from number four and it's what kind, if you are doing strength and conditioning, what kind of work are you doing? If you're only doing body weight strengthening exercises a couple of days a week, you're not going to reap the rewards than someone who is doing the heavier strength work. And when I say heavier, we're working the eight to 12 rep range, three to four sets for exercises like deadlifts, squats, lunges. I've got a ton of episodes on that, which you can refer back to. But keep in mind that you need to not only be doing strength and conditioning, but you need to be doing the right kind of strength and conditioning. And my sixth one is, are you recovering and ticking all the other boxes outside of running? So that being nutrition, that being managing stress levels, that being like getting adequate sleep. I just did a whole recovery month that you will all be, will be fresh in your minds um, just to make sure you're ticking all the boxes outside of your running. And that's how you're going to start reaping a lot of the wards if you're not seeing benefits. So let me go through that checklist again. If you are noticing or if you're going through your running and not seeing a lot of improvements. Number one, do you have a measurable goal? Two, do you have a structured plan to get to to achieve that goal? Number three, are you working within that 80-20 rule? Four, are you doing any strength work? Five, what kind of strength work needs to be the right kind of strength work? And six, are you recovering adequately? When I am running, I feel like my heart is beating at its maximum and I'm struggling to breathe. This causes me to slow down my run, even though I feel like my legs are still strong. What could I do differently to train better for this? This actually fits in quite nicely with what we were talking about before. And I do have four points for this, uh, for those who do find that when they are running, they are running at quite a high intensity or running at a um, speed where they just feel out of breath or their heart's beating fast. And goes to my last checklist, uh, are you training within that 80-20 rule? Um, If you find that you're going at a really, really slow pace and your legs feel totally fine and you still feel out of breath and finding that, yeah, your heart rate is beating at a really fast rate, uh, I would say just do some run walks on that particular day. I would say that interval training can be really, really nice for people just to keep their heart rate reduced and can find a really nice rhythm to try and regulate their heart rate and breathing. Um, So that would be my tip. And the second point I want to make is if you wanted to keep a track of either, if if you are one that's data driven, you can keep an eye on your heart rate. I know I did a, an online module for math training, which is essentially trying to train 
within a certain heart rate zone, a really sub-maximal heart rate zone. And when I was studying up on it and thought I'd give it a go myself, I went for one run. I did, I think, maybe 8K or something like that at a really low heart rate intensity and just kept a, a an eye on my heart rate the entire time, just made sure I stayed below a certain number. So maybe that's something you want to try because individual factors, sometimes there might be um, a hot day. Sometimes you might just be exhausted. Sometimes, yeah, you're just not ready or recovered to exercise and your heart rate might be through the roof. But if you know that you need to stick below a certain number, then that could help maybe do really, really slow jogs or maybe just do some walking. And that can be a really nice thing to follow. So if you want to do that, if you're not necessarily data driven, you can just have an internal body awareness and use like a rate of perceived exertion, usually out of 10 or out of 20, depending um, what your preference is. But if you choose to stay below, a, to say below a four out of 10 intensity, that can ha- be a nice way to make sure you stay underneath that number and you stay at a low intensity so that you're not, you're not breathing and your heart rate's not going through the roof. The other thing I'd recommend that people try if you do fit in this category is actually trialing some breathing techniques or breathing exercises. I know when I started running, I was breathing a lot through the top of my lungs and needed to consciously work on my breathing and potentially do some um, breathing through the base of my lungs. And what that would look like is being a physio background, we practice this basal breathing, trying to breathe through the base of the lungs for people who are in hospital and need to work on their airways. But when I was running, I was consciously trying to breathe, take a deep breath in through the base of the lungs. And if you're sitting and, and you just hug your lower ribs, you want to try and take a breath in where your, your lungs push out on the base of your hands and therefore the base of your lungs and you're getting air into the, uh, into the base of the lungs, because that's where a lot of the volume is that's where a lot of the alveoli density is uh, i guess quite dense so your efficiency at getting oxygen into your blood increases and if you practice this enough and you're used to getting airways or airway clearance to the base of the lungs it's going to work more efficiently you're not going to feel out of breath and therefore the heart rate isn't going to respond because of the increased co2 and this is a better technique so Factor that in as well if you find you are struggling. The last one I want to talk about in this particular topic was just what I mentioned briefly before. It's just the time of the day. You might want to factor in um, a morning or an evening run where it's a bit cooler rather than the middle of the day when it's quite hot because your body will struggle to regulate and your legs will feel fine, but you might be sweating a lot. You might be like really, the heart rate will elevate, the sweating rate will increase and isn't really advantageous for you. So if you find you are within this category, it might be best to try and um, use cooler types of the day. I like to run. However, I feel like I do not know what to do to build my training load in terms of preventing injuries. What can I do? It's a good question that a lot of runners probably have. How can I build up my running mileage or my weekly mileage and try and reduce the risk of injury as much as I can. So I guess when I was uh, at uni and studying this, when I first graduated, there was this 10% rule, which showed that 
week by week, we want to increase our mileage by 10% only to avoid overuse injuries. Now, that's all well and good if you're probably doing 100Ks per week um, and then you're just bumping up 10Ks every time. But for someone who's starting out and for someone who has really low mileage already, it is super, super conservative and a little bit too conservative. You're going to be spending weeks and weeks just progressing and not really making a lot of inroads. And so that's a little bit conservative. If someone is just starting out, keep in mind that uh, you are tracking whatever volume you are doing. Um, Somewhere between 15% is okay for a starter. If you become more experienced, if you're building up a big, big mileage, um, definitely track your mileage and maybe 10%, somewhere between 10 and 15% might be a good rule for you. But then it has its issues. If you're just looking at mileage, you're just looking at the Ks, uh, there's a lot of components you're not really hitting, which would be intensity, which would be how you perceive that exercise and how you're recovering. So there's a lot of things that might um, lead you astray and you still might develop an injury, an overuse injury still following this conservative rule. And so if you want to analyze it a little bit more, I have, and you are one to like write down programs. An idea I like to come up with is these arbitrary exercise units, which will be your rate of perceived exertion times the amount of minutes for that workout. And we can just calculate that over the week and make sure it's not exceeding too much. So an example of that, if I was to run for 20 minutes, uh, just go for a 20 minute jog and my rate of perceived exertion, how I think that effort was after the run, I rate it out of 10 and let's just say it's a three. So it's a three out of 10 for 20 minutes. That is a 60 arbitrary exercise units that is added to my weekly tally. And then I tally over my three three runs for that week. And let's just say it gets to 250. I know that within my next week's run, no matter if I divide it up into two runs, three runs, four runs, I shouldn't have a huge spike over 250. If we're following say a 15, a 10% or 15%, it means I'm probably aiming around 275. If I get above 300, I'm probably pushing it for my exercise arbitrary units. So keep that in mind. If you are one to write down, if you want to have a plan, that could be something you can work towards as well, because it includes your intensity. It includes the duration. It includes like how you feel, how you're recovering, because you might do a slow jog where the speed is still quite conservative, but on that particular day, you might be struggling and you might find it a five out of 10 instead of a usual what you might on a normal day find a two or three out of 10. And that kind of factors in, are you recovering? How you, How's your body bouncing back? Those sort of components. That could be really, really nice. Um, the last point I want to make before finishing up is just try easier runs. I know a lot of people when they hit the track, they either want to go far or they want to go fast. And Going back to our universal principles in season one, we want to make sure that we're staying within our adaptation zone. We're still staying within our adaptation sweet spot and we're hitting that multiple times a week. But a lot of that can be easier runs and it allows you to bounce back quicker the next day or the following day and you can work in four 
sometimes five run sessions a week rather than just going hard for two sessions and being maxed out and spent for a couple of days and needing to recover. So great question, Zoe. If you are one, two, or if you want to document how your exercises are going, that way we can have a bit of data. And if you do say get an injury, we can then learn, we can go back through the numbers and find, hey, I actually jumped maybe about 18% more than what I did before. When I overcome this injury, when I come back, I know that's a bit of a red zone for me. Maybe I'll stay 15, 15% and below. So hopefully uh, that is uh, enough for you, enough information for you to take away. We've covered um, a fair bit today. We've covered around, I guess I'll probably just do a little summary. So if you go through the question, the first question around what's a reasonable starting distance, really just make sure you're conservative and you can just start an embarrassing pace and work your way up from there. When it comes to hills, keep in mind that up hills, you're going to be working your calf Achilles plantar flexors a lot. And feel free to, if you want to get better at hills, increase your cadence a little bit, uh, do some intervals if you want, but you can walk up hills if you find that it's straining you a bit too much. Make sure we're looking at that checklist when it comes to identifying improvements. So have a measurable goal, make sure you have a plan, make sure you're doing your strength work and make sure you're recovering adequately regarding like your running structure, make sure we're following or the rough guidelines of that 80-20 rule, 80% being really easy running. And lastly, when it comes to building up your tolerance, make sure that we're following a 10 to 15% rule. We're not uh, doing too much spiking week by week. And that would lead to a nice, safe, healthy, successful running routine. So thanks once again, Zoe. We will be back um, next week with another five questions to answer very similar structure to today and hope you enjoyed we'll catch you next time thanks once again for listening to take full advantage of the knowledge you are building you need to download the run smarter app this contains all of my free access podcast episodes written blogs and ebooks along with my paid video courses all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in also be sure to check out the show notes links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get inner circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalog of patron only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic where I assess and treat runners from all over the world so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.